a former great Wallaby, uh, played 119 games for the Reds. Um, and Brad Thorne is uh, stepping aside at the end of the season. What has he made of that move and uh, his assessment on where Brad Thorne's at, where he might go, uh, and who's going to take over at the Reds? That would be uh, an interesting thing to, to talk to Tim about. We'll do that. Uh, Guy Havelt and uh, Alex Chapman, I believe, are on the panel today, which is always uh, very interesting. Guy Havelt. Uh, dodgy background, but apart from that, he's a decent sort of a rooster. Uh, and uh, then we have uh, Louis Herman Watt, of course, who's part of the show the whole time. Um, and uh, Louis will, will, will look at uh, Otaki today with this, uh, a bit of racing going on um, and a lot of other things throughout. We'll have a TAB odds catch up before 11 o'clock. And after 11, this is an interesting one for me, Pat Welsh. Now, Pat Welsh has been um, in the Australian media uh, since 1975. He first uh, lined up as a journalist for the Seven Network. Uh, stayed with that company for 47 years, believe it or not, 47 years, ha and has a background in pretty much all sport you can think of. He is called, for instance, 75 State of Origins. Get that. Is it 70? Yeah, I think 75 State of Origins. Uh, he's been around the world 100 times commentating golf uh, and lived golf this weekend, so uh, got to catch up with Pat Welsh. He's got a breakfast show uh, for SEN in uh, Queensland, actually. Um, and that's uh, with uh, our old mate Ian Healy too. So uh, very, very busy uh, show we've got today, including uh, a stumps. We'll go back to a stumps smithy today. Louis uh, a bit cut up about losing yesterday. Uh, we'll give you a pacing for purpose horse too, uh, around about 11.25. Uh, we need to increase that $717.50 that we've got. So 11.25, we shall give you... Um, uh, a pacing for purpose horse uh, and also love your texts at any stage double eight double three double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine line um, on any uh, matters you like uh, anything that comes up from uh, what you hear uh, from uh, our various subject uh, interview subjects throughout the day but uh, also um, a crusaders re a replacement coach now now that brad thorne's in the mix a crusaders a crusaders replacement coach um would you have the money to to bring back Robbie Deans. That would be interesting. Okay, uh, it's 9.06 here, uh, New Zealand time. It's a good deal later in England, where we're heading now, to catch up with uh, Stefan Schimmelt, who was the BBC cricket writer, the chief cricket writer, in fact, for uh, the, the wonderful organisation, which is the BBC. In fact, it's been the home of sport in, the, in uh, Britain since the year dot, hasn't it? Um, and uh, Stefan is with us this morning. Stefan, uh, thanks very much for your time, because, uh, of course, the uh, Ashes... Is not too far away. Australia have named their squad. Plenty for us to talk to you about. And, of course, Brendan McCullum has been in the news as well with um, his little betting operation, which uh, we understand might be over. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Morning, Ian. Great pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, OK, can we, we'll deal with Brendan first, shall we? Uh, we just had a news uh, item to come through and say, because Baz was part of the, this radio station, uh, it's fair to say, so we know him pretty well. And we know he's a bit of a punter extraordinaire. Uh, but he's cut ties. He's cut ties, has he, with uh, Bet22? Well, we understand he's stepping back, at least, from his involvement with Bet22. Make of that what you will. Um, I was trying to think how interested England cricket fans were in that story when it broke last week, that the ECB were going to speak to Brendan McCullum about um, the endorsements he was doing with Bet22. And you know what? I don't think they cared one little bit that Brendan McCullum was appearing in those adverts. I think if you ask most of them, they wouldn't even know. Now we've had this news that he's been he's been spoken to by the ECB and he is stepping back um, from that role. Now that's not to say that gambling and cricket isn't a real 
live issue and the ECB and, and English cricket doesn't take it seriously. And at the moment in England, we've got um, a real live issue to do with gambling and the Premier League football. Ivan Tony, the Brentford striker, he's up with a number of charges um, to do with gambling. The great irony being that Brentford are sponsored by a gambling company. They've got it plastered all across the front of their shirt. So gambling in sport is a real live issue in England. But when that broke, you just never thought it was going to become a big deal around Brendan McCullum and the England cricket team. I guess the only thing I sort of wondered was, would Brendan himself, who we know has got lots of interests outside the game, think, do you know what? I don't need this hassle. I don't want these sort of things um, being impinged on for me to do this job. But of course, he's had great success with the England team. He said himself he's got the best job in the world at the moment. And it seems like they've come to an amicable solution. Yeah, I think it's uh, the best solution for everyone and uh, we can get on with uh, the subject that I'm, I'm really keen to talk to you about and that of course is the upcoming Ashes. It starts at Edgebaston on June the 16th, goes through uh, the rest of June and finishes at the end of, the, of uh, July. So uh, look, in all honesty, I'm a long way away from it. I'm only going to be uh, paying attention on the radio here or uh, a little bit of television if I can see it. Um, but in your view, uh, where does this rate in terms of um, Ashes this far out, the hype? I don't think, um, me personally, English cricket, maybe even world cricket, has been as excited about an Ashes series since 2005. And anyone who knows what happened in 2005 knows that is a big statement and a big deal. What we have seen Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes achieve with the England cricket team over the past 12 months is remarkable, not just in terms of results, but in terms of the way that they're playing. And we know that it's caught the attention of the Australians. We've seen the little signs in their dressing room window, Ron Ball. We know they've heard about Basball. We know they've been watching the way England play. And we know how England are going to go about the Ashes. There's no secret about it. They say they're going to stick to their guns and there's no reason not to believe them. So what are Australia going to do about it? And I don't think anyone believes that Australia won't want to go toe-to-toe with England. You know, this is the country that gave us, you know, David Boone's drinking and Merv Hughes' moustache. They are the most machismo-filled <laughs> cricket team in the whole of the world. Are they really going to let England slap the ball about and and dictate the way that the Ashes is played? You just can't see it, can you? And that's what makes it so fascinating that for Australia to come here and want to take England on at this style of play that they've, um, you know, played over the past 12 months and that's what's going to make it so so exciting. And I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. Australia haven't won here for 22 years. That's a really proud record for England to defend. Well, their scoring rate, England's scoring rate, uh, since uh, these fellows took over, McCullum and Stokes, has been impress- uh, impressive by test standards. In fact, it's been unbelievable by test standards. Their ability to chase runs has been unbelievable. But I think it's fair to say this will be the best all-round bowling attack they're going to try these tactics against. That, to me, is the contest. Yes, and actually, in all of the 12 test matches that England have played under Stokes and McCullum, so many of the conditions have played into England's hands. The way that they want to bat, to score quickly, they've played a number of those games on very flat pitches, both in England and abroad, in Pakistan 
and New Zealand. And if you remember back at the start of the home summer last year, we had a batch of Duke's cricket balls that were basically like a bunch of chewed oranges. They just went soft so quickly. There was nothing in them for the bowlers. It allowed batters to score quickly because the ball was soft. It was doing absolutely nothing. Now, here in England, it's already been a really wet start to the summer and Dukes are telling us that the balls are back to their former glory, that they are likely to hoop and move around. Can England score quickly if it is a little bit damp, if the ball is in the hands of Cummins and Stark and maybe a fit Hazelwood and Scotty Boland, who I expect to go really well in England? Or is this England team going to be able to score at five, six and over against that attack when the conditions might give plenty to what is a very talented seam bowling attack? Okay, next question. Uh, what about the England lineup? Uh, uh, okay, we're, we're still, as you say, you haven't had a really good gauge on early season form in terms of county cricket because of uh, the winter, but. Uh, what is Brendan thinking, uh, particularly around the Zach Crawley position? Uh, how's he going to manage um, the resources of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad over a, a very short period, but a very busy period? I'll take the first bit of that question first. I fully expect Zach Crawley to be in the England team for the Ireland test, which is at the beginning of June, and then two weeks later when the Ashes start on the 16th of June. All the chat has been about how is Johnny Bairstow going to fit back into the England team in such prolific form last year, more than a 1,000 test runs, six centuries, then he slips on the golf course, breaks his leg, allows Harry Brook into the England team at number five, and we've seen Harry Brook absolutely fly four centuries in his first six test matches. So Brook's going nowhere, and we think the only way that Johnny Bairstow is going to get back into the England team is to keep wickets. Now, is he going to nudge Ben Folks out of the team? Folks has been a dependable glove man, and he scored really valuable runs. It seems like England's biggest decision at the moment is, is Johnny Bairstow going to come back and keep wicket or does Folks keep his place? Because at the moment, even though Zach Crawley's first-class batting averages dipped below 30, he was out twice in a day for Kent against Warwickshire last week. It looks like he's going to keep his place at the top of the order. And as for Jimmy Anderson, well, he just keeps rolling on, doesn't he? He got Alistair Cook out twice in the county championship match between Lancashire and Essex last week. And I just wonder if that is one place where England have got the edge over Australia, not necessarily in quality of fast bowlers, but in the depth of their attack. Australia have only named four frontline seamers in their in their squad. They say they've got backup in county cricket with the likes of, of Nisa and Sean Abbott. But England might just be getting all their fast bowlers fit at the right time with the likes of Anderson and Broad, Robinson, Mark Wood is at the IPL, Matty Potts, Ollie Stone, Chris Wokes, all these guys who go well in English conditions. And there is that one question mark over Joffrey Archer, who we thought was tracking well, but he's not been fit for the Mumbai Indians over the past couple of weeks. OK, uh, well, it's interesting uh, that you think um, Anderson a Anderson could play all five. That, that's uh, interesting. And Broad, of course, is a, a key factor to that because uh, the battle with him and Warner, David Warner, who was a bit of a question mark, I think it's fair to say, uh, uh, in terms of his involvement or his inclusion, has been confirmed as going. He will open uh, on June 16th, I would imagine. Um, so that contest is uh, another interesting one. Pressure on David Warner, everyone's, I don't know, everyone's, I guess, second biggest enemy. <laughs> he's, the 
absolute he's the pantomime villain isn't he in these parts nine and a half he averaged with the bat during the last Ashes series in England in 2019 Stuart Broad had him on toast now that might be one um, factor in England's selection I would say that more often than not England would probably want to choose two of Anderson Robinson and Broad and then one outright pace bowler if they're picking three frontline seamers i suspect that would be the template now does broad's record against warner give him the edge over maybe an ollie robinson who has nudged himself ahead of broad in the pecking order robinson's been taking the new ball more regularly alongside jimmy anderson and broad recently the fascinating thing to me about this australia team is their first 11 is so so strong even though warner hasn't been in form you look at warner kawaja labashane smith head Really strong batting lineup, and we know all about the seamers. But it is that backup, those reserve players, that you wonder how well are they going to go. Now, they've gone back to Marcus Harris and Matt Renshaw, guys who haven't had great success against England. What if Warner struggles and they have to turn to a Harris? What if Kawaja struggles? He's never really made runs in England. That could be one place where England could exploit a weakness in the Australia side. But of course, if they get past the openers, then they've got to deal with Labashane, Smith and Head. Mm. And that is an entirely different proposition. There's another really interesting contest, uh, I, I think, looming here, and that is the fact that uh, whenever spin bowlers have come on against the McCullum Stokes regime, England have fair gone after them. There's no secret about that. They've looked to not make them settle, they've looked to score five, six, and over off them from the get go. Now, uh, Nathan Lyon v. England's approach, that will be a contest. <laughs> particularly when you think of the character of Nathan Lyon, who never, ever takes a backward step. I was in the room, um, the Ashes series of 2017-2018, uh, just before that series start, and Nathan Lyon walked in and said he would be trying to end careers of England players during that series. And sure enough, Australia went on and hammered England 4-0. What's brilliant, so brilliant about Lyon is he's taken stacks and stacks of test wickets through being an orthodox finger spinner. And we have not really seen that for quite some time in test cricket. I suppose you're going back to someone like Graham Swan, who hasn't had the longevity or the success of a Lyon. So can England get after him? And will Lyon, how would he react if England do try and get after him, I suspect he'd be really up for the battle because if we're talking about pantomime villains um, in the Australia team and the players that the England fans love to hate, Nathan Lyon would be right up there behind David Warner. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, he, he is. I, 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 actually, I think I'd rather spend time socially with Nathan Lyon than David Warner. I'm just taking a punt here um, on that one, but I, I would be thinking, hey, prior to that, Prior to that, uh, there's a neutral test match, and it just happens to be for the World Test Championship. Um, and that's at the Oval, and that is Australia as a warm-up, really, for the Ashes against India, who were beaten by us, of all teams, last time around. How badly do you think India need this? How badly do you think test cricket needs this? Remarkable, isn't it, that India haven't won... Um, an ICC event in men's cricket since 2011, that famous World Cup final when Mahendra Dhoni walked out and slapped the straight six for the winning runs. Um, India have almost, how can I put it, they've kept Test cricket afloat a little bit, really, with how interested the likes of Virat Kohli and their top players have been for a number of years to keep the Test format alive in what is the, the powerhouse, I guess, of the global game. Um, and I think it would maybe be quite good 
for for the global game if India do finally get their hands on on the World Test Championship. And it wouldn't be a bad thing from England's point of view, would it, to see Australia take a bit of a hiding in that World Test Championship final. But India just have struggled to get over the line recently in finals, in semi-finals. Just like you mentioned that two years ago when New Zealand came to Southampton, and they quite rightly and deservedly were crowned the World Test Champions. It's a fascinating sort of curtain raiser, isn't it, to the Ashes? What sort of Australia will England get come June the 16th at Edgebaston? I think there's only four days between the fifth and final day of the World Test Championship final and the first day of the first Ashes Test. Is it going to be an Australia that's buoyed because they can rightly call themselves the best Test team on the planet, or are they going to get a bit of a wounded animal? Mm, it is enticing. Uh, it, it is, and it's mouthwatering. Honest, your summer. I'm very jealous, uh, Stefan. Your summer is an absolute pearl to look forward to. Let's just hope the weather plays its part, um, and uh, we see with the kind of cricket that everyone is looking forward to. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for staying up a little bit later over there uh, in the UK, and um, your views have been much appreciated. I assure you. Thank you. Pleasure anytime. Thank you. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Uh, Stefan Schimmelt there, who's the chief cricket writer for the BBC. Uh, seen a lot of cricket. You can hear his uh, enthusiasm, um, his passion for the game, of course. It's such a big sport in terms of the BBC. Um, and uh, they, they broadcast it, of course, uh, on their various radio outlets. But we, uh, we of course, are going to do it too. And that was the big news coming out of us uh, yesterday uh, here in Australia and New Zealand. SEN and SENZ will be broadcasting ball by ball uh, the Ashes, the entire Ashes and the World Test Championship. Something really cool to get you through the nights as uh, winter comes to New Zealand. Uh, just curl up, put that on, and that'll be special. Uh, 9.22 here on SENZ. The Good Oil. All the fun and tips for your Saturday afternoon. Live Saturdays from 1 on SENZ. Thank you. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.27 uh, as we approach the news. A couple of texts have uh, come in uh, straight away as a reaction to that uh, wonderful interview uh, with uh, Stefan Schimmelt uh, out of the BBC. Smithers, Smithers, Richard Smithers, are we that close? I suppose we are. Smithers. Personally, I never know who I want to win the Ashes because I hate the Poms or Aussies winning anything, but I guess we have to support the Poms because of Baz. Interesting to know how the rest of your listeners think on this. And uh, yourself, of course, well... Um, I really um, don't know who to favour here. Traditionally, I would always favour England over Australia, but I've actually, having done a bit of commentary in Australia, I've got to know quite a, a bit more about the Australian cricket team. And okay, they have a fairly hard exterior, and uh, they upset the apple cart um, from time to time. Um, but a decent bunch of roosters actually, and they're damn good for the game. They play a good brand of cricket themselves. Just by the by, we know England do. Uh, but uh, Louis, good morning to you. I, I think it's. It's going to be one of the great contests. Won't it be? I loved it how Stephen explained that. You, you, uh, Stefan, I should say, explained that you, you can't expect um, Australia not to stand up. You know, the anecdote about Nathan Lyon want to end careers. They're going to fight fire <laughs> with fire. So <laughs> that's very good news for us as punters. I personally always favour England just because I feel like even in the UK, they just... 
have a bit of an underdog status. I just the Australians of the century have been so good for so long, minus a little blip post a trip to South Africa. So I would like to see, and for Baz, I'd like to see them get the result. But Smithy, do you think that the Ashes goes in that pantheon, that Mount Rushmore of sporting events that don't necessarily have a New Zealand twang to them, like your hundred meter sprint final at the Olympics, your FIFA World Cup? Uh, your Super Bowl, does the Ashes sit in that echelon? I think so, it does now. Uh, I think so, and the reason why I think that is because we now know the personalities a good deal more than we used to. Last century, the Ashes were the Ashes, uh, England versus Australia, uh, you know, the Hoi Polloi, etc. Uh, but now, uh, because of television and the access to players, and that's a huge part of it, the, ac- the access to players. And we've seen documentaries what, called The Test. We were right inside the dressing room uh, with the Australian players. We're on the bus with them. Um, and, and, you know, we get to know the personalities more. We feel as if we know them more. I think we become more in- invested in it. And I think that's what, what's happened from the, uh, the Warren McGrath type era uh, right through now through uh, Warner and, you know, uh, all his uh, uh, misgivings and misdoings, etc. Uh, you've got uh, Pat Cummins. We live through the Tim Payne getting removed scenario because of sexting. And, uh, you know, look, we're living through those moments now and we feel as if we know the players. So for me, for me, uh, Louis, I think it's right up there now and I think New Zealand people are going to, have a, a lot of interest in this. Anthony's come through and said they really loved the interview. Uh, can't beat Test cricket. Uh, it's still uh, the ultimate for him. Ball movement, batting styles, player matchups. Anthony, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely so right. Right, it's uh, 9.30. We've got uh, Louis and I have got an appointment with New Zealand's champion jockey of the moment, Michael McNabb, very shortly. So we'll head to the news. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Uh, But they have the toughest job of all jockeys. It's a career that more than most can be so insular at times, but gives these fantastic athletes the opportunity to reach the most outstanding of highs as well. Uh, It sounds uh, like uh, any sportsman really, a wee bit, doesn't it? We've had a rich history in New Zealand of producing the world's greatest hoops through the years, like the Skelton boys, Lance O'Sullivan, OP, uh, James, Jimmy Mack, James McDonald. We've had the trailblazing women in the saddle like uh, Linda Jones, who started it all for the ladies. But over the last season and three quarters, we've seen the rise of one man's career that is rewarding for a lot of people, for a lot of reasons. Michael McNabb has always been an absolute talent, but after his winning his maiden premiership last year, Michael has come back this season and managed to build on that form to become our leading jockey week in, week out. He's currently leading the Premiership by 22 wins. Yes, 22, sitting on 120 with a strike rate of 5 on the nose, which is huge, absolutely huge. And uh, he's good enough to join us now. Michael, he's uh, on his way to Otaki to ride uh, a little bit later today as well. Michael, thanks for your time. Goodness me, after all that, that magnificent uh, introduction I gave him, uh, please don't tell me he was upset with that and he's left us. Louis? <laughs> he, 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 he can't be. He, he, he can't be. He won't be upset with that. He's, he's a, a lovable guy. But I tell you what, he's on. this is the thing with these jockeys, Smithy, as you learn to understand. They, uh, they are on the road as much as they are on the back of horses and from time to time the uh, reception on the way from where will Michael be going from um, the Waikato through to Otaki, he'll probably be in some sort of valley or gorge. Oh, and he's fallen off the line just like that. So you've done, you've given him the the perfect wind up, and we don't. <laughs> we'll see if we can get him. <laughs> 
But he has been impressive. Let's talk about you and to you about him because um, this is the man, folks, that wears the zinc uh, on the face from time to time. I think there's a little bit of a super superstitious reason for that, but uh, don't very often see jockeys doing that. But here's the thing. Um, day in, day out, he is far and away the best New Zealand jockey at the moment. Yeah, he is. He is. And um, look, the thing about Michael is he always had the talent. Nabba, he's a very talented jockey, he just struggled to find consistency and always found a reason on the flip side to kind of fall off the boil, but last year something clicked and he said he was sick of letting people down, he was very open about that, and once he made that decision in his head, uh, it all came together, so it's alright, it looks like he's he must have gone through a bit of a black spot, Bryce, so we'll just hang on there, we can pontificate his career for him, um, and, and once he did that, Smithy, like Many, I guess, sports people that get a little bit more mature and put it together, all of a sudden the talent found a found a home. The talent found a stable base of consistency of head being screwed on and, and then it started to click together. But the, the thing that I find with jockeys, it's very interesting because, and I wanted to ask Nabra about this, it's chicken and egg. You get You need support from trainers and owners to be winning, but you need to be winning to get support from trainers and owners. So where do you strike that balance and how do you do it? Well, that's what he's the kind of recipe he's managed to figure out over the last 18 months. He's, uh, he's, he seems to be uh, in demand, obviously with his form, etc. that um, most stables want, want him on their horses. I, I think that's fair to say across the board. I mean, he doesn't dedicate himself to anyone in particular or does he? No. I mean, his his dad and, and Tony Pike, and he's got a great association with Pikey. And, you know, a lot of these people we'll chat about are people that, when again, he said he was sick of letting down. He's got a great association with Pikey. He's got a good relationship with Marshy, Stephen Marsh. He's got a very good relationship with Tiako, David Ellis, Mark Walker, Jamie Richards. He, of course, he, he came back and rode Melody Bell to one of her group ones in Hastings down your neck of the woods a, a couple of years ago. I, I reckon it was the sprint where she blew them away, the first of the Triple Crown. Um, so he has support across the board, and that's because when he gets it right, it is beautiful. His hands are soft, the horses run for him, he's balanced, but he's also a killer. There's not a gap Nab is not afraid to take, and he knows how to put them away and to put a race away. And often, when you're talking about horse racing, yes, the horse first and foremost needs to be good enough. But secondly, if a jockey's not quite on the boil and can't quite pounce on the moment, take it the bull by the horns, and put the race away, well, you can be, and that's what you said, you know, your punters can feel a little bit sorry for themselves afterwards. So he's, he's striking that balance. Right. The next thing of interest, uh, and I, I hope we get uh, through to him at some point, uh, if not today, maybe uh, tomorrow, um, the good ones go. Uh, the good ones go chase the stakes, Louie. I, I think it's fair to say. The very best. You can't blame them for that. It's like the cricketers going to the IPL, where the big bucks are, the big commissions are. Um, so, Michael McNabb, how, how long do we hold him in New Zealand ranks? It's it's a really good question. Um, and I, I wanted to ask him that, actually, Smithy, because I, I don't know, I know he's got a family here, and as I said, he's just started to, he's just started to find a bit of consistency and, I guess... 
warmth and enjoyment and routine and being the New Zealand's leading jockey. So part of me wants to actually, the, for the most part, I want to say I don't think we are in danger of losing him yet. I think he's, I think he's here for the next wee while. So I mean, I'm speculating there, but that just that's my read on the situation. We will get him. We'll get him on. He's a wonderful, he's a wonderful guy, and that's the other thing, Smithy. That's why people are so happy for him to piece it together because he, he really did deserve this, and he he just couldn't get out of his own way for a while, but he's done it. And you, you said in your intro, 120 wins. He's 22 clear. He's striking at five, so that means every five, fifth time he gets on a horse in a race, it wins. But the other thing is, he's got 14 group enlisted wins this year. Opie's got 17 for context, and we know that he's just a big race rider for the most part. So 14 group enlisted wins, that is elite. It is elite. Okay. Um, doesn't look like we're going to get Michael McNabb, so we'll hold out a, a wee bit on uh, personal things about Michael because... We want to ask him that, but I, from a, a you know an informed perspective, Louis, overseas jockeys and their impact uh, on New Zealand racing now, uh, they seem to be more prevalent. Warren Kennedy, um, of course, uh, Zaki's gone; he's gone back home. Uh, Doyle, um, and then you've got a selection of um, riders from the subcontinent, etc., throughout the South Island. Um, wh- where would we be them at without them? I guess I'm saying. Well, we, we wouldn't have an industry, I don't think. I don't think anyone is, and this is why COVID and, and the, because it's not just the riders, but it is the staffing situation as well. We need, you know, racing is an industry that heavily deploy, uh, relies on immigration, some of them, and that's a, a massive part of it. When those borders were shut, it got very touch and go there. At the top end, when you're talking about Warren Kennedy, Craig Zaki, Joe Doyle, um, you think about guys like Cosi Asano that have immigrated here as well. Um, a- across the board, we our Group 1 jockeys, and they are all Group 1 jockeys this season, oh, you know, the depth that they have added at the top end has made this racing season what it has. And it has been one of the best racing seasons I've followed in a long time. Seriously, it has. And that is because we have had uh, a bit more depth to follow. You think about the jockeys we, we lost um, in the last few years, Sam Collett. She's decided that Queensland is going to be her base. Um, from time to time, we've had jockeys go uh, back to Australia and kind of try and ply their trade there. We've had jockeys retire, like Lee Thinnis. Um, and obviously the, the terrible passing of young Taiki as well. So it, it's it's been a, a period for the jockeys' room that's been total flux. So having that top-level talent like your Warren Kennedys and your Craig Zaki's here, it's been so crucial. There's one text here, Smithy, from Ted. For Michael, what's his best up-and-coming horse that he has ridden this season, one that we can follow? I'll answer that, Ted. Prowess. Prowess would be the one. Um, Prowess would be the one, and I, I think she could do pretty much anything she wants in the spring. So, and the fact that they didn't run her on in the Oaks, Smithy leaves options open. So that's very exciting for Roger James, Robert Wellwood, and Nabba when he got down to I think 52 kgs to ride her against the older horses. That shows his commitment and how well his head screwed on at the moment because he got his Group One with the filly, hard to do, and he had to put himself through the absolute ringer to do that. So that shows his commitment to the industry at the moment. Okay, right. Um, here we go. We've got a, another text uh, coming in as well. Um, morning, Smithy. McNabb wins on perfect return today. There you go. Um, fabulous rider who has turned the corner in life. Um, and uh, interesting. Kevin says uh, uh, he, he wants to call and uh, talk some cricket and racing if we have the time. Uh, if we open up the lines, Kev, uh, you'll be the first one uh, we invite on board. So 
Um, we'll look uh, at a window there, perhaps. It is 9.43. Uh, we'll take a short break. Sorry about that. Um, uh, we, we will get Michael McNabb, but that is, uh, uh, that's live radio, and that's also uh, people in transit, and he is on his way to Otaki to ride. Perhaps perfect return to victory today. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the holder, know when the folder, Smithy's multi, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Alrighty, uh, let's explain yourself for yesterday, uh, please, Mr. Louis Herman. What we oh. gave you the opportunity? <laughs> How do I explain this? Um, well, at least I wasn't the only person that thought that these horses would win. I guess is what I'll say <laughs> because one of them started at dollar fifty, the other one started at dollar seventy. And neither looked like winning. Savakat was out the back under a ride on the bend and then finally found the bit and charged for second. And Hazar was out the back and Ryan Elliott had about coming about 18 wide and peaked on its run about 200 from the post and ran fourth. So, look, I don't know. At least I wasn't the only victim. No, you went. Uh, I got up, though, with my uh, Clevelands, uh, so uh, don't worry yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> they got up, so that's why I promoted myself to having another crack today. Uh, so I'm starting tonight, actually, um, and that is, of course, because the NRL starts tonight. love Thursday night football. Panthers against the Rabbitohs maybe the match of the round uh, early on. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go to the Panthers at $1.50. Mm, not 100% confident on this, but I'm going to go to the Panthers. Uh, I am pretty confident about the Milwaukee Bucks over the Miami Heat today. And if that's that confident, in fact, I'm going to take the minus eight-point start. So the Bucks have to win by uh, nine points, basically. So uh, $1.80. $1.80 for that. And the Lakers to beat the Grizzlies. The Lakers to beat the Grizzlies in other NBA action. Um, That'll be a a bit of a surprise, actually. Um, That's at about $1.85. So multi that up. Buck fifty into the dollar ninety now it is into a dollar eighty five five dollars twenty seven five dollars twenty seven so that's our multi for the day we'll have a pacing for purpose uh, horse for you a little later in the piece uh, incidentally Daryl was texting and said uh, he really likes uh, Michael McNabb the reason why uh, he had a five dollar uh, bet on him with a five legged multi last year with a return of three thousand two hundred dollars. Definitely one of the best in our riding ranks, according to Daryl. Well, not just because of that, Daryl, but uh, his record is uh, impeccable at the moment. Uh, We should take a short break, and when we come back, we'll look forward to what's coming up in the next hour, including a chat with uh, Tim Horan, one of Australia's finest. The racing game never sleeps, and I'm not sure Clado or Stico do either. The good oil, Saturdays from one, punting the afternoon away. Well, it's been confirmed this week that this will be the last campaign for Brad Thorne at the helm of the Queensland Reds. Thorne has taken the team as far as he thinks he can and will head off into other challenges, hopefully, within the game of union. Who succeeds him and builds off his foundation he has built in Queensland is a crucial cog for Eddie Jones and the Australian rugby team. And who gets Thorne's services next may just have a little impact on our shores as well. And to talk more about it now, we've got to Tim Horan on the line. Of course, 80 tests for Australia, 119 games for the Queensland Reds. 
and of course a uh, very uh, integral member of the Stan Sports commentary team. Uh, Tim, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, hello, Smitty. Hello to all your listeners. And, yeah, it's been a busy week for Australian rugby. Of course, Brad Thorne, as you mentioned, and, and also Eddie Jones got his first Wallaby squad together. Um, they had three days on the Gold Coast, so it's been a pretty busy week for, for our game. So, um, did you see this coming from Brad Thorne? I mean, the Brad Thorne we know, kind of, you give him a job, he, he sees it through, he does it. And he's, he's almost sort of, from the outside looking, he's almost sort of quit halfway through this job. Oh, I think I wouldn't say halfway through, but he's had nearly six years in the role, so um, he's had a pretty good run with the Reds. He had some success very early on. Of course, probably changed the culture of the Reds when you know you let go people like Quade Cooper, James Slipper, you know, some pretty big names in the, the Reds outfit, and then you know he altered that uh, culture. He wanted to um, bring some young players through. He did that. Um, that Super Rugby AU through COVID was pretty exciting. There was forty five thousand people at Suncorp Stadium to watch the Reds beat the Brumbies, and um, but, but but probably since that time, it's been a bit of a a little bit of a struggle for the Reds that um, haven't been that consistent. And I think what Brad Thorne's done, though, he he's left. He's leaving the Queensland Reds in a much better place than when he took over five and a half years ago, and that's that's all he can ask for. And you know, a lot of that's off the field, but also some of that's on the field as well. And the next coach that comes in has got a pretty good platform to build. Uh, you know, a pretty exciting team from. Yeah, it, the timing of it, I think, was uh, interesting. That's why I sort of intimated the halfway through. I was halfway through the season. Actually, I was, I was sort oh. of more getting it. Sure. But he sits. He sits sixth. Um, and the current standing. So, um, you know, he's uh, one of the, the two squads, Australian squads, inside the playoff area at the moment. Um, so it was just, uh, I think it was more the timing of it and the fact that he had said, I have taken them as far as I can um, at that point. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, Smitty. I think, um, and you're right, you know, halfway through a super rugby season, I think what... Brad Thorne's always been very good at. He's very, he's very unselfish, and you know to to do it at the announcement in a bye week, so it doesn't upset any rhythm get leading into a game, and give. But also, it's going to give the Queensland Reds another probably two or three months time to go and explore and find the right coach. If you do it, Smitty, you know things. If you do it at the end of the season. You probably do it a couple of weeks after the final. All of a sudden, you know, you, you're nearly chewing into next season. So, and this is the period of time where people, you know, the coaches from Europe, coaches from Japan, around the world, this is the time when they start looking at, okay, where's my next role? So that'll be interesting to see what the Queensland Reds do there. In my opinion, Smitty, I reckon they need to to find a pretty high-profile coach for the next two years, maybe three, and then you bring that next coach through under him. So. Uh, I'd be looking at the likes of it. You know, there's a few coaches out there that are probably about a couple of years away from being ready. Um, Andy Friend is someone, in my opinion, they should start to look at, who's obviously coached the Brumbies before, been overseas, done that UK um, period of time over in in Ireland, and now he, sh- you know, he could be available to to come back and and re-coach in Super Rugby. You say high profile, um, as high profile as um, maybe um, a couple of ex-Wallaby coaches, uh, maybe a Robbie Deans or even a Dave Rennie so recently uh, finished with the Wallabies. Yeah, I reckon um, Dave Rennie would be a really interesting call because I think Dave Rennie's a wonderful coach on and off the field and he coaches players you know, uh, on the field very well and off the field he 
he understands the culture that he's trying to achieve and you know, he lives on the Gold Coast. He only lives 35 minutes down the road, so that that'll be someone you'd certainly talk to um, for the you know you say so to Dave Rennie can you give us two years or give us three years and then you bring the next person through under Dave Rennie Robbie Deans might be a harder one um, I don't think the Queensland Reds financially can afford I assume what Eddie what Robbie Deans is on at Panasonic at the moment so yeah some good names around um, and you know even that saying that, you've got some assistant coaches coming through, but I think you need a big name to, to take this side to somewhere else. And I think Brad Thorne's pretty fair in his comments saying, Smithy, that he can't take this Reds team any further. I think that's pretty fair. Um, he's taken them as far as he can, and he needs someone else to, to get that next couple of levels. Uh, Tim, in terms of uh, Brad Thorne, now there's a vacancy come, uh, coming up because Razor Robertson, of course, is now no longer going to be the Crusaders coach. Brad Thorne has history at the Crusaders. They tend to invest within their own group as such. Would Brad Thorne make a, a possible candidate for the Crusaders in your thinking? Well, I think Brad Thorne, I, I, I would say Brad Thorne's probably one of the best assistant coaches I've seen. Um, as a head coach, it's, it's another level. And I think you need that technical advice around you. You need someone who's got an attacking mindset, someone who understands... Um, the patterns of play in rugby. Rugby's moved the last five or six years since Brad has been in that coaching job for the Reds, and he's done a wonderful job. And, you know, the play, people he's got around him, the young players he's brought through, you look at players like Fraser McWright, all those type of players, and who would have thought that he would have brought back James O'Connor uh, and did pretty well. So um, Crusader's job um be a tough one. I think Brad, uh, he said in the press conference the other day, he's been in in the game for a long period of time. I, I reckon if I'm Brad Thorne, I'm picking my kids up from school, dropping them off to school. I'm, I'm just spending a bit of time with the family now. Okay, interesting. Uh, can we just move uh, to Eddie Jones, of course, as you say, uh, named as uh, first uh, initial training squad during the week. What have you made of that? Yeah, it was good, Smitty. I was down there for a couple of days, had a bit of a look, um, did a couple of interviews with some players, uh, had dinner. Eddie Jones got in a couple of former players. It was myself. Um, Morgan Tuanui, um, we had George Smith come in, George Gregan um, flew back from the UK in time to to see the team, Chris Latham. So all those sort of ex-players are just around the team for dinner, just to have a general casual chat to the team, and then watch them train on the Tuesday morning. And it was pretty physical. Eddie Jones was ripping into the players, and he had a great chat with them on the field in different groups. So... Yeah, for the first camp, um, I think Eddie would be pretty happy with what he's got there. And um, I think all the players know now what Eddie's looking for, what standards he's looking for. And um, but he has a joke with him. The players were fairly, fairly nervous coming into the, the camp, not knowing, of course, most of them had never even spoken to Eddie Jones. So, um, no, it was, a, it was a good camp just for a couple of days. And now, of course, the Brumbies have a bye this weekend, so the Queensland Reds. And, and, and of course, you'll have the, the New South Wales Waratahs over there playing the Blues. So um, it would be interesting to see how they all track for the next camp, which will be at the end of Super Rugby. Well, you brought up an interesting point. I was going to ask you about the Waratahs. Difficult mission for them this week. Again, though, um, a, a season of, of relative disappointment. I look at that table. They're a, met, a much better squad in the past uh, than where they sit now, surely. Yeah, I think, Spinny, when you look at what Darren Coleman did in year one, um, it, it's that year two syndrome, which is really hard to get through because, you know, teams know how you compete. Teams know where your strengths and weaknesses are and they can adjust to that. 
So, yeah, it's been tough for them. Um, they sit just ninth in the table at the moment. So, you know, we were talking last week, can, can the Waratahs get on a little bit of a run the next three or four weeks? And then you look at who they have after the Western Force and you've got the Blues away. So it's difficult for them. Um, I did hear they've, they've lost a few players this week. I haven't seen the side announced as yet, but I think there's going to be a fair few changes and, and some players left rested and left out. So uh, maybe Darren Coleman's just trying to change things up for the next couple of weeks. Does uh, Eddie Jones have the same policy um, with the, the Wallabies as we do over here, Ian Foster, at the moment? This um, this rest and rotate sort of thing with his, his squad as such. I mean, does he did he say, look, I'm only wanting these guys to play four or five games on the trot, etc. That's what we're what, what we're living under at the moment. Oh, I think maybe for a couple of players, um, but most of the players he wants them to be out in the middle of the pitch. It's a bit like that analogy of you can be in the nets, you know, for as long as you like, but most of the players in Australia they need game time in the middle on the wicket. So. I think that there's some players, maybe a Michael Hooper, who's played a lot of footy throughout his career. He might get a couple of couple of weeks off. Um, there's a couple of players, but all in all, I think Smitty that Eddie Jones wants these players to play. And then, and he, when I spoke to him yesterday the other day, he said that he's probably got about 60 players he's got to fit into 33 for the Rugby World Cup squad. So he had about eight players um, dial in on Zoom from. We're playing offshore, of course, Marika Corambetti, you know, Quade Coop, so and then there's another eight to ten players who weren't the camp if they're in. So uh, Tim, just uh, just uh, f- finally on this, Stephen Larkin's doing a great job uh, with the Brumbies. Um, they look genuine contenders again. Yes, yeah, Smitty, it's, um, you know, what um, what Dave Rennie's done with the Wallabies have been fantastic, and, and Eddie Jones mentioned that, that uh, what a foundation he's left. But as you mentioned, with when you look at what the Brumbies are doing under Stephen Larkin, done a great job, hasn't he? Stephen Larkin, first year back as head coach and in second spot at the moment, and, of course, the best position to be at, at the end of Super Rugby is at one or two, so you can try and get yourself those home finals. Uh, this far out, um, it's pretty hard to say, uh, Tim, but you, you've seen a lot of campaigns, you've been in a lot of campaigns yourself. Um, are you confident the Wallabies can give this World Cup a decent old shake under Eddie Jones uh, this early on in his tenure? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, Eddie's had so much experience and success at Rugby World Cups. You know, we looked with the, with the Wallabies in 2003, of course, assistant coach of the Springboks in 2007, and you moved forward. So... I think what it did with England in the last probably World Cup surprised a lot of people. And um, yeah, he, as long as he gets some decent players back, he needs players like Samu Karevi, he needs players like Marika Corombetti. He needs some big names that aren't injured. So uh, yeah, Ken, and they're in a good side of the draw, aren't they? Because of where they'll play, they should make a semi-final. If, if the Wallabies are good enough, you make a semi-final, four teams left, and, and you never know post that. But I think success for the Wallabies is getting to that semi-final, and then anything can happen from there. But I still say, Smitty, I think the All Blacks are favourites, in my opinion. They've got a wonderful squad, and, you know, you get the Barrett boys firing and Richie Mwanga and those sort of players, and hopefully players like Will Jordan can come back. Um, you're going to be pretty hard to beat. Tim Horan, as always, uh, it's uh, an honour for us to talk to you. A, a real pleasure as well, Tim. Uh, thanks for your time uh, this morning, and uh, have a terrific day, mate. Good stuff, Smitty, and um, look forward to catching up later in the year. Yeah, that'll be nice. Uh, cheers, uh, uh, Tim. Um, ha- have, a, have a cool day, mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate. 
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, uh, it is 10.20 here and uh, very uh, pleased to say we've got Guy Havelt and uh, Alex Chapman on the panel this morning. Uh, Louis Herman Watt sitting down there in Christchurch, uh, he'll put his oar on as well, I, I would imagine, at some point uh, during this chat. Uh, but first of all, um, Guy Havelt, we've uh, just heard from Tim Horan um, about uh, the future of uh, Brad Thorne, uh, of course, leaving the Reds. Um, is there a possibility you think he might be on the Crusaders' radar? Uh, morning, Smithy. Great to great to chat with you. It's been a while. Um, I hadn't thought of, of Brad Thorne as a possible uh, replacement for Scott Robertson at, at the Crusaders. Uh, what did what did Tim have to say? If you can fill me in. He, well, he he basically sort of said he's more an assistant coach, to be perfectly honest. But um, you know, right. uh, he's had a, a pretty impressive run. He he says he's he's left the, the Queensland Reds in a better place than when he started. And we were just thinking, and Louie and I were mulling over the fact uh, over the last couple of days that the Crusaders tend to like their own, you know, when they come to these sorts of th- decisions. And he was yeah. one of their own, Brad Thorne. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That is one reason why they might go for him. I think times have slightly changed uh, in terms of who's around at the Crusaders since Brad Thorne was there. I think they would look somewhere like maybe even a Tamaki Ellison. I don't know if, if he's... Uh, keen on being a head coach, but if Scott Robertson takes uh, Scott Hansen with him, which is what is rumoured to possibly be happening, uh, then that leaves maybe someone like Tamati Ellison who, who might step up into that role. I know he is highly respected around the Crusaders' environment, highly respected in rugby circles, um, and has proven to be a, a pretty good assistant coach. As I say, don't know whether he wants to be a head coach, but uh, I suspect if he wants to be, he might be someone that they'd look at down there. Yeah, what about you, Alex Chapman? Good morning to you. I, I just wonder, um, it's the, you know, they are the big boots to fill, aren't they? Razor's boots. I mean, the, the record is unbelievable. But they have to find someone. Yeah, morning, Smiley. Yeah, it, it's kind of the, the old adage of you don't want to be the bloke after, you want to be the bloke after the bloke. Um, so good luck to whoever does have to... Replace Scott Robertson. I, I, I'm with Guy. I think Tamadi Allison would be fantastic. And I think Colin, Colin Mansbridge has made no secret of the fact that the Crusaders really like him and really rate him as, as a coach. He's kind of flown under the radar a little bit as one of Scott Robertson's um, assistant coaches. And then if you want to bring Brad Thorne back, then why not have him as an assistant coach under Tamadi Allison and he can be a kind of lending ear for Tamadi Allison to to chat to and that person to really lean on and discuss things going forward. But, yeah, it's at the top. Whoever has to replace Scott Robertson, good luck to them because it's going to be one heck of the job. Alex, uh, I just wonder, can anyone stop the Chiefs this year on what you've seen? Uh, yeah, I think the Crusaders can. <laughs> and as someone that's born and bred in the Blues region, uh, I, I, I don't like that I have to say that. But, um, yeah, if, if anyone is going to stop the Chiefs, it is going to be the Crusaders. But, Man, it's, it's going to be a heck of a task. They're resting a few players this week. They've got Sam Kane out with concussion, which in itself is probably a bit of a greater concern, but they should beat the drawer, and you think relatively easy too. And 
Yeah, I found it a bit interesting, to be honest, Smitty, that they moved arguably the form first five and Damien McKenzie to fullback this week. That might just be a matter of wanting to get Bryn Gatland a bit more game time at 10 um, and letting Damien McKenzie re-familiarise himself with 15. But, yeah, next week's Chiefs-Crusaders game is going to be one heck of a match, I think. People from all over New Zealand and Australia will kind of be parking up either at home or at a pub or at a, at a mate's place to watch that one. It'll be an absolute humdinger, but... Yeah, it it it, it, um, it hurts me to say that if anyone's going to stop them, it is going to be the Crusaders, but you wouldn't write them off, would you? You wouldn't write them off, uh, Guy Havelt. Uh, the Chiefs are doing great things under Clayton McMillan, uh, who's just re-signed, of course, uh, with the franchise uh, for uh, a good deal, more, many more years, which would indicate he's not on uh, Scott Robertson's radar in terms of uh, an assistant all-black coach. Uh, what about McMillan's job and, and what he's done? Well, he's obviously done superbly with the Chiefs, hasn't he? I mean, they are the front runners in Super Rugby. They're definitely the favourites to win this year. Uh, he is seemingly another highly respected coach in terms of his players. Anyway, they, they really like Clayton McMillan and what he brings. I think everywhere that he's been recently has, has turned to gold. Um, oh look, just going back to your, to your question to Alex, uh, funnily enough, I'm a Crusaders fan. I think the Crusaders mm. can beat the Chiefs, but I also think the Blues on their day could beat the Chiefs as well when it came down to it in a knockout game. I know that the Blues haven't been at their best recently, but, man, they've still got a superb rugby team. And when Leon McDonald does finally get them humming, which I think is inevitable, they will eventually hit their straps, and maybe they'll start to hit their straps at the pointy end of the season. Um, so I wouldn't be ruling them out. I think it's a very, very intriguing competition this year. Uh, I haven't really been uh, enthralled by rugby in the last few years, but I I've started to to get very interested in this competition this year, uh, purely because I think there are three teams in New Zealand and maybe the Brumbies, and I say maybe. I don't know if they can go the whole way and win it, but I think on their day they could possibly tip up one of those teams. But I think you know any one of the Chiefs, Crusaders and Blues could win this competition, uh, and, and I'm, I'm very intrigued by how it's going to play out over the next uh, couple of months. Guy felt will you be enthralled by the Ashes from afar? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, this is one of this is shaping up to be one of the most enthralling Ashes series for some time. Obviously, the England factor and the way they've been playing and the way they've kind of turned everything around. I don't think we need to go into that because it's been pretty obvious. Uh, but you've got an Australian team that that's that's kind of on the rise as well and has done similar things in terms of how they've been playing recently. Uh, I think. I think the favouritism is in England's side purely because of the conditions. Uh, you suspect that Broad and Anderson, you know, that they've started to get back to, to dare I say it, their best at, at those ages. It seems ridiculous to say, but, but they've been bowling pretty well recently. And, and when they get into their conditions with the Jutes ball, uh, they will be very, very hard to stop from, from an Australian point of view. Uh, but in saying that, Australia have great bowlers of their own and, and pretty good batters as well. Um, I, I just cannot wait. Uh, how long do we have to wait? Some of the, I think it's about six or eight weeks or so. I wish it was tomorrow. I, I don't think I'll be getting a lot of sleep throughout the series. It is going to be so good to see these two teams go at each other. Uh, and as I say, conditions that will make for superb test cricket. 16th of June, Edge Baston. Uh, Guy, that's uh, as long as you have I to wait. I knew you would know. Um, 
<laughs> yep, I know. I'm looking for you. Hey, you're not on your Pat Malone there. I can't wait either. Uh, Alex Chapman, how about you? Your interest um, in the Ashes. And uh, did you did you think for one second that David Warner might not be involved this time round? Uh, yeah, have out summarised my feelings to, to an absolute T. I think that's going to be... Uh, one heck of an Ashes series, probably the most excited I've been for one, maybe ever, to be honest. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't think completely drop Warner, um, but you look at who else they've picked. Marcus Harris scored a lot of runs um, at Sheffield Shield level this year. Matt Renshaw scored some good runs as well, and then had a, a great tour of New Zealand with Australia A-team. So it's not like these guys that are... That aren't banging down the door. There are people that are breathing down David Warner's necks, um, and you just have to look at the last uh, Australian tour of England with the Ashes when he averaged things only nine and a half, and he is still very firmly sitting in Stuart Broad's pocket. I think. I think maybe like the upper half of his body has emerged, but he's so far deep in there that Broad would be probably massively grateful to the likes of Chief Selector George Bailey for for keeping him in that squad. There, there's no guarantee that he'll play. Both of those first two, and I think how he goes in that World Test Championship final is going to be a, a massive gauge of how long they do stick with Warner for. But let's not forget it wasn't that long ago that actually scored a magnificent 200, albeit cramping up when celebrating like an absolute pork chop. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope England win. I want England to win. And if that's to happen, then I think Australia should keep picking David Warner. Alex, Guy, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, the show this this week oh, of wow, all weeks. Yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a ple- it, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, now, here I'll, I'll ask you this with all sincerity. It's when we're speaking to, of course, two two of the most distinguished and esteemed cricket reporters in uh, the, the New Zealand media uh, circles currently. And I don't know if you, you saw some of the, any of the footage that came from this. I think it was the Super Smash launch where they they were silly oh, enough to give g- give Guy and... No, yeah, hold on. Hold on. Give Guy and Someone Alex so, some sort of... Hey, oh, well, mute, mute you, mate. Uh, some sort of plastic balls and, and a set of stumps. They were bowling from about 10 yards away. But, boys, do you think that even the great Stockley in his prime would have been able to keep to you two Muppets on that day. <laughs> Mate, I, I, we, were, we were firing them down that day. I, I think it would have been dangerous to stand up to us at the stumps. Uh, <laughs> look, no, I, I, I'm, I'm better with a, with a pure hard cricket ball. I'll just say that. The, the rubber ball just ain't my thing. Couldn't get it down fast enough. Uh, not a good line of length. Look, it was ugly stuff, I'll, I'll be honest. But, uh, yeah, a bit of practice. I'll be right. Give me next year. Come back to me next year, Louis. Okay, I mean I won't, but I uh, appreciate the honesty around the cook. You, you're more of a cookaburra guy, and um, Chappy, there's no saving you. Yeah. Anyway, Smithy, I just had to get that in there. Fair enough. Okay, um, I'll recover from that. I'm just thinking about um, a guy who dealt with um, a real ball, uh, a joke or a um, <clears throat> what do you? Be? Oh, I think he's more a cookaburra kind of guy with his. Those hands down the seam. Uh, I think he's a Kookaburra guy. Uh, it's 10.31. We'll be back with Kookaburra guy and uh, Alex Chapman after the break <laughs> here with the news with uh, Aroha. Uh, we're going to talk about some thuggery in basketball. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, there's a little matter of uh, an Anzac Day game with the Warriors coming up too. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Phoenix Nation from 3 this afternoon on SENZ or grab the SENZ app.
big talk, big opinions, the panel. Guy Havelt and Alex Chapman with us this morning. Uh, and uh, Alex, um, the NBA playoffs are uh, on in earnest at the moment. And... Uh, Golden State Warriors in trouble. Uh, they're down uh, 2-0 to the Sacramento Kings and they're in a deeper hole now because uh, one of their mainstays, uh, Draymond Green, who is a regular offender, has stomped on his uh, rival um, and uh, Sabonis, Demantis Sabonis uh, from the Sacramento Kings has copped himself a fine um, and uh, also a one-match suspension. So stupid. Stupid, I think, at the very least. Yeah, that... That's a good way of putting it. I was just going to be a bit um, softer, but that's probably my generation, Smithy. Um, yeah, it is, it is stupid. It's, it's utterly dumb from him. Um, and it must be quite frustrating to, to play with someone like Raymond Green. He's kind of like, um, like your mate on a night out who gets a little bit lippy once he's had a few too many, and you almost have to like sheepishly apologise to strangers who he starts mouthing off at him. Like, oh, sorry about him come on man there's no need for that and then on the rare occasion it turns just a little bit ugly and then in his case in Draymond Green's case for Golden State it has now and it has in the past for them as well there's nothing wrong with thinking and we in New Zealand's probably maybe shy away from that bravado and that expression of personality and emotion um, with athletes a fair bit but when it, it's cost you a title in the past like it did in 2016 when he hit LeBron in the nether region um, and now when he goes and stamps on DeMontis Sabonis as if he's a bit of dirt on his shoe, it's, yeah, it's, it's not great behaviour, is it? Well, Guy Havelt, um, just a question came to mind, actually. Who's the bloke in your life that, you know, when you go out for drinks with just lets you down every now and then? <laughs> uh, Louis Herman Watt. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. <laughs> this is this is an absolute this is an absolute G up. Um, I actually, I, I, I mean, I think before, oh, mate. So I had to I had to give you something back. <laughs> nah, it's fair enough. I mean, it really, it's Adam good. Cooper. It, let's be honest. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great man. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know if you saw this uh, guy, uh, this Draymond Green, but. For all the good stuff, I mean, he's had altercations with Stephen Adams over the years as well. That's a fairly big target to take on. Yeah, I wouldn't be taking on Stephen Adams. Uh, Draymond Green, yeah, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a predicament, isn't he? Um, a, a fantastic basketball player, but he's just prone to one of these incidents every now and again, and and it's seemingly when his team kind of needs him the most. I mean, they can't really afford two nil down to have one of their best players sitting out uh, game three. Uh, you know, potentially going 3-0 down. I don't think there's any way back from 3-0 down. So really not the best time for him to do this. I, I watched it, um, you know, on, on the, I suppose, on the game angle, uh, on the main angle, and thought, oh, there's not much in there. And then they played one from kind of one of the ends of the court. And he just lines um, the, the opponent up. And, and it's just obvious that he does it on purpose. And when I'm watching that, I'm thinking, mate, what the hell are you doing? Like, that is just an, a massive, um, you know, mind-blowing incident where, where, as I say, his team's on the back foot and he does something like that. His teammates must get him in the sheds and go, mate, what the hell are you doing? We need you right now. We're 2-0 down and you've just gone and completely thrown us under the bus. Uh, yeah, these mm. are the sorts of incidents, I think, that when we look back on Draymond Green's career, uh, that will maybe taint it a little bit because, as I say, he is a fantastic basketball player 
but there are just little things like this that put his team uh, slightly behind the eight ball and, and he leaves them in the lurch. And uh, when you look back on careers like that, uh, you can't look at someone as a great, I don't think, when they do things like this and leave their, leave their team wanting. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, he just you know, rubs me up the wrong way for all his talent, unfortunately. Uh, discipline, not a problem, though, for uh, the Warriors guy, and they've got a very big clash coming up Tuesday. Um, and um, just a bit sad, and uh, Tohu Harris has said this as well, that we don't seem to get too many of these Anzac uh, Day clashes in New Zealand. Yeah, I'd love to see that over here. Surely we they can do a, an arrangement where it's one in Melbourne, one in Auckland, etc., etc., going forward. Uh, I, I think, particularly with the way this Warriors team is playing at the moment, uh, you say this is this is a big big game, and there's no lie there. But this is a big stretch of games for the Warriors. They've got the Storm, then they've got the Roosters, then they've got the Panthers. This, to me, is is a career defining uh, treble of games. Uh, they have been superb, uh, and I don't think there's any other way we can put it in in the first seven games of the season so far. They they have been a Warriors team that, that people have been saying is on the cards for some time and has never really eventuated. Well, now we've got that Warriors team, uh, and this is the three games where we will know if they are the team that can finish in the top four and then vie for the title. They beat the Storm, and then they can probably afford to lose one, maybe even two of those next three games. Uh, but I think they have to get out of these next three games with at least one win, probably, possibly two, to, for, for us, well, for me anyway, to really feel like they can be a top four team and a team that can vie for this title. Wow, top four, that is high in terms of our expectations, uh, Alex. Uh, and I, I just wonder where you see this clash in terms of a defining point. Uh, it, it, it's massive. And you look at the way the Warriors have played and who the Warriors have, have beaten um, and the way the opposition have played. Yeah, the Cowboys at the start of the season we've seen it as big-time title contenders but there's always that um, almost like a big brother little brother type thing with the Warriors and Melbourne um, and whatever the opposition the Warriors may face over the years the one that has held them up the most most recently in particular uh, has been Melbourne and none more so than the absolute mauling that they faced last year on Anzac Day when Nathan Brown gave that almost do we call it iconic or infamous press conference saying that some players gave up and that it was an attitude thing and um, I, I, from what I understand, it's kind of like a, a revenue and a commercial um, relationship that the Warriors and Melbourne have in terms of games being played on Anzac Day in Melbourne. You look at the amount of expats that the three or four of us, if we include Louis, know in Melbourne, um, a lot of them will be probably heading along to that. And while it would be great to see a sold-out Mount Smart Stadium on Anzac Day, I don't know if that can generate as much revenue as perhaps they could in Melbourne. Having said that, Yes, it needs to be uh, a one-on, one-off type thing. Just share the game between the Warriors and the Storm. And if it means having to put the, the commercial uh, side of things or the revenue side of things, then I'm sure Cameron George and others within the NRL can come to some sort of agreement about that. But, yeah, massive game next week. And you can see it on TV3. There you go. Well, there you go. You can see it on TV3. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Lisa Carrington back in the boat against uh, rising star Amy Fisher, Guy Havelt. Um, this is cool because uh, this uh, young Amy Fisher is so damn good. You see this dominance uh, in this event uh, carrying on past Lisa Carrington. That's the signs for me. This was, there, were, there was so much to enjoy in sport last year, but um, 
this three race series last year was one of the highlights for me of the entire year, purely because we had Dame Lisa Carrington, arguably our greatest ever Olympian, uh, up against someone who um, has gone about it her own way, has kind of moved away from from the elite squad um, for for her own reason, well for reasons she doesn't agree with everything that's going on in there, so she's gone and done it herself funds herself, all that sort of stuff, has gone to Australia, uh, tried to get herself better, and last year anyway was pipped by Lisa Carrington by about half a boat length um, across three races. It, it was an enthralling little duel between the two. It's a shame uh, that under International Canoe Racing Federation uh, rules that only one of them can go to the World Championships. Fortunately, uh, it is more than likely that both of them can go to the Olympics and compete in the K1 500, which I just think would be uh, an, an, an unbelievable moment for New Zealand to see two, I think, of the world's best paddlers going against each other from the same country in an Olympic final. So I hope that happens. But, yeah, this three-race series, I think, again, will be very close. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of, of Lisa Carrington's training recently, but um, Amy Fisher is a little bit more open in terms of what she posts on social media. Uh, she looks to be flying from what she's done in Australia. She's come back here recently and, and continues to train on... Lake Pupuki on Auckland's North Shore uh, and coming up this weekend starting tomorrow in the heats, funnily enough. The first race will be the heat, which uh, just adds a little bit more uh, pressure and a little bit uh, more fire into a heat. Uh, that'll be the first race of the three, then the final on Saturday, and then if they need it, on Monday again. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for this. I, I think it'll be something that, again, will grip the sporting uh, sporting fans in New Zealand because... I suspect it's going to be close, Smithy, and, and I can't tell you who's going to win because it, it will be very, very close between the two. Guy Havel and uh, Alex Chapman have been our guests on the panel this morning. I've enjoyed uh, their little battle also with uh, Louis Herman. What we shall take a break. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I look forward to uh, reports on your next uh, night out together. That'll be fantastic. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we shall um, talk to uh, uh, Louis Herman. What I think uh, about Otaki races today. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Okay, Louis, let's uh, have a look at uh, Otaki today. Um, eight race uh, card and uh, 12.25 um, is the first today. There's also racing in your neck of the woods tonight, trotting incidentally uh, at Addington, and uh, some uh, greyhounds at Addington and Monaco. So pretty busy day across the codes. Certainly is, Smithy. And I will put my hand up and say uh, just terrible performance yesterday on, on the tip. And Mark is getting stuck into me on double eight, double three, which is where you can get stuck into me. Or my, you can get in at me on Twitter or my Instagram. Don't come to my house. I'm not very big. So if you just keep it all on social media that, or the text line, that's best. Mark says, why can't Louis pick something that's going to pay 7 8 or $10? Instead of these dollar twenty jobs, anyone can pick a favourite. Noted, Mark. Noted. Um, usually I pick the, the short ones when I think they're going to win. I don't tend to look at the price 
too often, but the reality is the bookies frame them up, they make them favourites, and uh, the punters work it out from there. So you're probably a better punter than me, Mark, by the sounds of it. At Otaki today, there's some nice racing. Uh, it is a long way down the island, and it's going to be a heavy eight, and it's cold. It's definitely winter racing feeling, isn't it, Smithy? In race seven, I was very curious to ask Michael McNabb about Extraordinaire. Goes back to the mile. It has got heavy track form. It's one on the course. It's got a good barrier and the best jockey. So the threat is lost cause for mine. Jamie Lee Lupton, very good trainer, and this horse is back at the races after a a wee break. So that's the threat, but I think Extraordinaire for its fitness is your $3.50 favourite, and it is my best bet on the cards. So that's the only bet I'll have at Otaki today. Um, Prior S, I tipped that out last week and it just didn't do the job. It's just got me a bit tepid at the moment in race five. And they've got the high weight races at, at, in the fir- on the first on the card, but you just wouldn't know with those Kevin Myers horses that fill those um, brackets what they're there to do or, or necessarily how ready they are to win today. So Lucky Vikings, a nice horse. I just don't know if I want to be lobbing it out there. So race seven extraordinaires just for me. But Smithy, did you just watch that video I lobbed you in the WhatsApp? Yeah, yeah. I thought that's amazing. Uh, Louis just sent me a, a WhatsApp video. Uh, Louis, you can tell people they can access it. But there was a lot of uh, a lot of complaining about uh, Patrick Cantlay and his slow play at the Masters. Uh, it was staggeringly slow at times. Now, Louis, you can explain it, but um, it is quite an amazing comparison that they've come up with. Well, it's doing the rounds on Twitter. I'll just, right now, for everyone's benefit, retweet it off the Mornings with Ian Smith t- uh, t- t- Twitter page. They've <laughs> They've overlapped Black Caviar's great win in the uh, well, the race that's now called the Black Caviar, where Nolan didn't touch her, Smithy, just sat like a statue mm. on her, and she just put five, six, seven lengths on them. They overlaid that with Paddy Cantlay trying to knock in a four-foot putt, and gee whiz, it's a photo finish, can you believe that, of all things. It goes for about 55 seconds or so, or a little bit less than that. Isn't that just incredible? Yeah, I, like, I just I wonder what it was when in your first show I thought well, it's, um, I was thinking about something else. Now I looked up and I thought, "Hello!" I saw who the golfer was. This is a comparison in time, staggering. <laughs> Four. I mean, he is. He's a shockingly slow golfer. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it drives me nuts actually the way he shuffles away. It just oh. <laughs> anyway. Ten. I'll get get away from it. Ten fifty two here. Uh, we're going to come back uh, to the TAB and find out uh, about some juicy odds on offer today for you to make a dollar or two. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.57 and time to get across to uh, the TAB and uh, Paul Moati is going to help us out with some opportunities to make some money this afternoon. Uh, Paulie, there's... um, NBA playoffs continue, of course, and being Thursday, it's the first uh, match of the latest round of the NRL. Yeah, that's right, Smithy. In terms of the NBA, we've got three games today. Of course, we've got uh, the same game claim promotion on all three games. The first one due to tip off in about half an hour. The Memphis Grizzlies uh, taking on the LA Lakers after the Lakers picked up a win in game one. Uh, the Grizzlies slide outsiders at $1.97. The Lakers at $1.79. And around, what's that, 60, 
60% of turnover uh, in that head-to-head market is on the LA Lakers to uh, go 2-0, 2-0 up in that series. Uh, the Bucks later on, the Sabo, they're $1.27 to beat the Heat at three sixty-five, And then the Nuggets, uh, $1.26. Uh, hey, they soundly beat the Timberwolves in Game 1, uh, who are three seventy-five. Of course, a big NRL match this uh, tonight. The Rabbitohs, two fifty. The Panthers, a dollar fifty. Um, early money with the Panthers at a dollar fifty. They're five and a half point favourites. Uh, but the Rabbitohs have seen a wee bit of support in the last couple of hours. And of course, the Black Caps, Pakistan, their fourth T mm. Twenty international. Pakistan, a dollar thirty-three. The, uh, the Black Caps, three ten. Uh, and money coming for the Black Caps. Certainly, after that win in Game 3, um, even though they made hard work of it at the end there. So the Black Caps have seen some action at $3.10 to win T20 International number 4 against the Pakistanis. Yep, we'll be watching that uh, in the early hours of the morning. Paul Mawadi, thank you so much uh, for your time. Have a terrific old Thursday. Uh, we've got a treat coming up after uh, the 11 o'clock news. are going to head back to Queensland, actually, and to uh, talk to Pat Welsh. One of the best ever Australian sports journalists, bar none. He's right up there with Rabs Warren, Benno, the greats. It's a long servant and he's covering Live Golf. Yes, Live Golf. It's 11 o'clock. Phoenix Nation from 3 this afternoon on SENZ or grab the SENZ app. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. That's an Australian song, of course, and I'm not quite sure whether it's written about our next guest, but it uh, may well have been. It perhaps should have been, uh, because uh, our next uh, guest is one of the terrific, most terrific broadcasters Australia has ever produced. Uh, so experienced. Started back in 1975 with uh, the Seven Network, only recently retired from there. 47 years with them, and he's making a bit of a comeback as well over the weekend. Uh, I'm talking about Pat Welsh. Uh, who's done golf uh, all around the world, league, 75 state of origin games, Bathurst, horse racing, the Olympic Games, summer and winter. Uh, If it's been on, Paddy Welsh has probably been there or very close to it. Uh, He is a legend of Australian broadcasting. We're honoured to have him on the show. Pat Welsh, good morning to you. Oh, Smithy, thank you for the intro. You've got those few lines that I sent over for you, I see. <laughs> yeah, I got them uh, very, very accurate as well, and uh, I, uh, I hasten to add uh, he's also a, a co-host with uh, with Ian Healy as well um, these days for SEN in Queensland. Uh, very big audience yeah, too. Uh, yeah, I've literally just got off air with the second best wicketkeeper I know. <laughs> oh, this is working so well. I can tell you that. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Patty, uh, love golf, eh? Uh, and it's a subject um, which has been a bit frosty, but uh, to be fair, yeah. uh, it's divided a lot of people, but it's a reality, and the reality is it's an Adelaide, and the reality is, or from all accounts, uh, it's going to be big. 
Yeah, they've sold it out. So, uh, in fact, they're opening the gates today to the Pro-Am, which is highly unusual. As you know, you've, you've been to a lot of these big Pro-Am events that, you know, you get a smattering of crowd coming out there to watch. And, you know, in the heyday when we had the shark, you know, in, in the, the times when we had that 330-odd weeks as world number one, they'd all come out to watch the Pro-Am. But uh, this time, they were, they're having to open the gates for this because they can't sell any more tickets for the three days of actual competition. So it, it's wonderful. I, I think, um, you know, in the long term, I'm hoping that there will be peace between the tribes, but I, I think that's a fair way down the track. There's a lot of litigation and lawsuits, etc., going on at the moment. But So at the moment, as a, as a journal and a reporter and a commentator, you treat it as it is and you know, I've just been given the shot times for the shotgun start tomorrow when you've got Kepka, Poulter, Smith playing together. Uh, they've, they've put all the team captains together and you've got the three Aussies playing together, Jones, Morgan and Leishman. So uh, they're trying to cater for as, as many as they can and get, you know, these vast crowds that they're going to get at the grain scattered around all over the, all over the uh, you know, the, the tea grounds. Paddy, one of the things I'd really like to talk to you about is uh, is Greg, Greg Norman. Now, um, in a previous life when uh, our paths crossed uh, and, you know, you commentated golf where Greg Norman was playing, he was involved. Um, my understanding, you had a pretty close relationship with Greg Norman. He's at the forefront of one of the tribes as you speak and uh, for some reason, you know, for some reasons and various reasons, he's copped a bit. Uh, how have you think uh, Greg Norman's standing up through this and, and what have you make of the whole thing involving the shark? Well, he's always been pretty defiant, Smitty. This goes back a long way. And yes, you're right. It goes back to when he was pretty much a kid and I was almost the same in, in Queensland. Uh, I, I was doing stories with him for our TV news when he was the young rising star. So I've known him that long. And I've got to say that, you know, I had a very good relationship with him and uh, got a chance to fly around on the jet occasionally and visit uh, with with Alan Border and Dean Jones. We visited his home in Florida and stayed there and played a bit of golf with him as well. So, yeah, I've had a good relationship with him. It, uh, it, all I know is that he, he's got a pretty thin, uh, thick skin and he's had to have it because he's he's got plenty of slings and arrows uh, over the, you know, the, the so-called sport washing. Uh, and the use of Saudi Arabian money, uh, of which, you know, angers a lot of people. Um, but right at the moment, Smithy, I can, we can only report on what is in front of us. And we've got a tournament on in Adelaide this week. The Sharks, the bigger head of it, he's been prominent around, you know, posing with Sharks and uh, knocking in a hole in one at Royal Melbourne <laughs> in a little game that he had at the weekend. So, look, I, I think... As far as the establishment is concerned, his reputation has been tarnished. Um, he's not welcomed by the RNA, as we know, at the British Open anymore, and he's a two-time winner of that. Uh, he wasn't invited to the Masters this year, even though he's, he's not a former winner of the Masters. So the establishment doesn't like him, but Norman doesn't seem to care. He said he's lost some bark. He hasn't lost a whole heap of friends, he doesn't believe. And uh, he, he's soldiering on, and he's got a, a pretty fair war chest to work with. He sure has, uh, and he's also got an interesting concept, uh, Paddy, which uh, incorporates um, a three-round tournament and a shotgun start, as you alluded to uh, before. What do you make of this uh, this format of, of golf? I don't mind the shotgun start. Um, TV wouldn't mind that either. Uh, makes it a little bit tougher because things are happening all over the course, as you know. When you play the normal four rounders, uh, you tend to get your you know, your, your top groups in the morning and top groups in the afternoon that the TV can concentrate on. Uh, but that's the way he wants it. Look, 
quite frankly, the thing that they crave most is official world golf ranking points because most of these, well, all of these golfers are slipping. Uh, and, you know, the ones that are not qualified for majors won't qualify in any time soon. So I think they've got to go to four rounds and they've got to find a way to make it happen and to appease the OWGR so they're going to get official world golf rankings again and get it sometime soon. Otherwise, a lot of these players that haven't won majors are not going to be seen at the majors anytime soon. Cameron Smith is basically the Australian uh, figurehead of this. It was a massive coup. There's no doubt about it to sign him. Um, how's he handling yeah. all this from, uh, from your perspective? He seems outwardly happy. Uh, I, I had long discussions with his agents, both his American agent, Bud Martin, and his Australian agent, Ian Davis, when this happened. And uh, he was coming off a year like we wouldn't have seen, you know, that we haven't seen for a long time. Win the players, win the, the, the British Open, win in Hawaii. By my estimations, he, he made about $25 million just on the course last year. Plus, as you know, Smithy, just from sponsors and commissions, etc., you can at least double that. So I didn't think that money was, was a big driver for him. But look, the word I was getting, that they came at him with the best part of $200 million. And his agents kept saying to me, Paddy, this is not only life-changing, this is generation change. So, you know, the amount of money that Smith can leave for his kids and grandkids and, and, and you know, almost, you know, three or four generations of kids are all going to be set up. And that's the way they came at me. I was, frankly, I was a little disappointed when he went because I thought he had so much to give World Golf. And we, don't, we just don't see him as much now. They're only playing 14 events a year, plus he'll play the majors. Um, but outwardly, mate, he seems happy with every press conference that he's done. That's great, um, you know, because at, at the end of the day, uh, money, uh, you know, money is a thing, but the, the mental state of people and pressure of, of sportsmen and things is, is also a paramount su uh, subject that we're talking about these days. The team golf concept, uh, Pat, tell us a wee bit about that. Well, I'm <laughs> well, I'm only getting my head around it as well for, for this event. I'm going to start to learn all these names, the, the Rippers and the Ironheads and the, the Range Goats, of which Bubba's involved in. Um, but that's all part of it. That, that's the way that Greg Norman wanted to build this, that not only was it about individuals, and you, you, know, you can still win the individual title, but he wanted to mould it into teams where they were seen to be close together. And the Australian team, for example, is Cameron Smith, Matty Jones, Jed Morgan and, and Mark Leishman. And, yeah, so I, I think it's to, to promote that team camaraderie. I want to see how it works firsthand this weekend, Smithy, before I, I give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, I must admit, when I go and look at a live leaderboard, the first thing I go and look at is who's leading and who's, who's, who's the front runner individually. And then as an afterthought, I'll go and have a look at where it's headed for the team. Right, OK. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to, to talk to you about, and your knowledge of uh, golf, and particularly around Australia, um, is unprecedented, Pat. We've, we've talked about that. But is this the best golf field you've ever seen assembled in Australia? Does it, is it right up there with like President's Cup or even more so? Yeah, because you've got a few of the Europeans, probably, Smithy. I mean, obviously when the President's Cup came here in, in 98 with Tiger and the height of his powers, and I was privileged enough on that last day for the singles to do the fairway commentary with Norman v. Tiger, 
was one of the most intense things I've ever seen on a golf course. It was just awesome. And David Faraday, the great golf commentator, he was doing the American course walking that day. And we didn't say a lot to each other. You know what it's like when you're out there. You've got an earpiece, people talking to you. You've got to talk. You're concentrating on your job. And he walked over to me at about the 13th or 14th, and two of them had striped three irons into the breeze into one of those par fours on the backside of Royal Melbourne. And he said, hey, kid, he said, you're watching something very special here. So, look, we've had events up there, but the fact that when the President's Cup comes here, you get... You know, the, the internationals minus the Europeans plus the Americans. We've got a little, a little potpourri, I suppose, of everyone here. So, yeah, without doubt, one of the best fields we've ever assembled in the Southern Hemisphere. Pat, how do you cover golf of this type, shotgun start? Um, you talked about, do you have a feature group as such? I mean, you know, because the scores are going to be um, all comparative in terms of holes played. So mm. how do you follow um, leaders and, 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 and standout groups? And so? How are you going to get around that? That's, that's going to be one hell of a question for the production team. I can tell you, I'm not aware of how big the production team is, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, so you've got Kepka, Poulter and Smith in, in Group 1 off the first. What if someone's at the, at the 14th in the Bland, McDowell, Bert Weisberger group starts to go low? The, all of a sudden, you've got to rush cameras over there. And I, I just feel logistical nightmare, to tell you the truth, Smithy. Uh, and, and again, this is another one where I'm dipping the toes and, and trying to find out how it's going to work because you simply haven't got that many, as many cameras as you know, to cover every hole all the time. It's an interesting... Uh, are they available to you? One of the new concept of... Uh, I mean, this would never have happened back when you started doing actually talking to players during a round, for goodness sake. That's creeping into coverage these days. Um, will you have that kind of access? Is, is Greg going to, you know, in terms of trying to promote, going to give you player access and that sort of thing? Yeah, as far as I know. As far as I know, that's going to happen. I mean, I, I've been, in the last few years of working with Seven when we had the rights over here, the Seven Network over here. We started to do that. And, look, some players are okay with it, some aren't. Um, but the players that were okay with it, you know, you tended to go after their tee shots at par five, Smithy, where they had a long walk. And, um, you know, particularly then you'd pick your time if they... But, number one, if they're not coming off a bogey, and, number two, if they've striped their tee shot, you know, they're in a pretty good frame. So you can walk up and have, have a chat on the fairway. But the innovations are, are endless now, and I, I think with the amount of money that these guys are getting paid, they'd be pretty agreeable to doing most things on the golf course while still maintaining their level of concentration and trying to win what is like there's 37 million Australian dollars available across the teams and individual formats. So they're pretty serious as well. 37 million bucks, mate. Oh my God. It's crazy. Um, right. It? Yeah, it sounds like you're super from the Seven Network. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would want to be 47 years, man. It would want to be. <laughs> hey, look, while we've got, while we've got you here. Um, huge history in rugby league, of course. Uh, as I said, uh, all that uh, state of origin um, history that you've had. Could you have imagined from the get-go Wayne Bennett and the Dolphins with this kind of competitive start? Uh, once, once it was confirmed that we, we were getting a new team and it was going to be the Dolphins, it was going to be in Queensland, Bennett was the only one, I think, that they could have got to coach for their first couple of seasons. In saying that, I've got a huge admiration for Christian Wolfe, his, his assistant, and will take over. But Bennett was the one they needed as their figurehead over here. He's such a, just a, 
he's a massive presence, particularly in Queensland Rugby League. So there was never any way that they could have gone. Look, they've made a, a really good start. Uh, they've had a couple of blowouts recently. Now they're into the grind, Smithy. Uh, I think mm. now is going to be the, the, the telling time for them. Um, you know, they, they've had the euphoria, I suppose, if I can put it that way, of big crowds and big following and a lot of publicity. But now they've got to get into the grind of a, of a 20-odd round season. And we'll see, we'll see whether they can maintain the rage, if I can use that old cliche. But uh, as far as Bennett was concerned, they, they had to throw all the tea in China, all the money in Fort Knox, and, and get him to be the figurehead of this club. And he's done exactly what they need him to do. You know, he's been, he's been an angry man at times. He's been an absolute delight to deal with at times. But it's what we've expected from Bennett and what's what I've had from Bennett for the last 40-odd years. SCN and uh, SCNZ are lucky enough to be having the coverage, of course, of uh, Live Golf this weekend, um, Pat. And uh, also we announced yesterday over here that we've got uh, the Ashes and the World Test Championship as well. Ashes, from your point of view, uh, we had an English correspondent on this morning saying probably in his lifetime the most anticipated Ashes of all of his experience. What about you? You've seen a few. Well, we're looking forward to Basball. I mean, uh, what have they won? 10 of 12, 10 of their mm. last 12 in New Zealand, so, uh, sorry, the English team. So, um, yeah, he, he's brought a belief to this team. Australia haven't won the Ashes over there since 2001, which is another one, another thing we're reminded of. As I said, I've just got off air with Ian Healy. We had George Bailey, chairman of Selectors, on for a chat. Um, he seems to be, you know, pretty happy with the 17-man squad that we've named, but... Um, yeah, you're right. It's one of the most anticipated series simply because England are now playing the sort of cricket they are. So we can't wait for this series. Obviously, the Australians go in with a fair deal of confidence. They've got that World Test Championship final against India to, to go before it. So there's a lot of anticipation cricket-wise in this country for the start of June and, and beyond. Pat Welsh, uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, all I can say is enjoy Live Golf, uh, enjoy the experience, um, and um, I think it's going to be something very different for you, but very special for you, and boy, have you walked some fairways and seen some golf, so have a terrific time, eh? Yeah, looking forward to it, Smitty. I'll uh, jump into the car now and play limo driver for the second best wicket keeper I know. Yeah, do that. Thank you very much, and say hello to him <laughs> for me as well. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, man. Right. Have, a, have, a, have a great weekend. Cheers. Pat Welsh there, um, legend of Australian broadcasting, yeah, and as, as I said, his relationship, uh, Louis, with uh, Greg Norman, I knew about that because, uh, you know, I've heard interviews in the past where, you know, he's, uh, he's called him Patty and, and they've gone on hell of a while on Greg and um, <coughs> I didn't realise that he'd gone on the jet <laughs> to his house in Florida and played a, a few holes with AB and uh, Dean Jones, so, yeah, he's up front and, uh, and very close to him, so he's in the know. Oh, it's elite company, Smithy. Amazing perspective Pat has, isn't it? Amazing perspective being able to reference that shootout between Tiger and Sharky all the way back at Royal Melbourne and, and just the history he has and the understanding of golf in this part of the world. It would have to go... What do you think? I mean, it would be a long way to being the best field assembled in the Southern Hemisphere because he's right. There's a hell of a lot of good European players. We've got a Masters champion from only eight years ago and Sergio Garcia in the field. Oh, look, um, champions, or, or uh, of course, Patrick Reid, um, 
uh, later than that. I mean, you, you've got um, Cameron Smith, um, a major winner last year. Phil Mickelson, a major winner last year. Uh, I mean, it is one of the best fields of individuals. Take the live side of it. And, I, I, you know, now I'm, I'm pretty much, I've been anti-live. I'm, am I warming to it? Not really sure that I am, but I, I mean, I, nothing will eclipse the Masters in tradition for me and the Open Championship, I'm afraid. Nothing ever will. Uh, I've got a couple of interesting texts in. If Cantlay was playing bridge par and you were in the group behind, would you hit up on him, Smithy? Sure would. Absolutely. You know why, <laughs> Caleb? The reason why is one of the reasons we play golf is to have a, a, a couple of quiets afterwards, and I'm not going to make Pat Cantlay uh, let him make me wait five and a half hours to six hours uh, for my couple of exports at the end of the day. I can promise you that. Uh, so we hit up on him, and without any um, any any apology whatsoever. Uh, Craig's come in and said, "This is uh, quite interesting. I only just uh, caught up with this one. If LIV Live Golf goes goes to seventy two holes, they will have to change the name to LXII, which does exactly roll off the tongue, Louis. LXII Golf." <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty pretty clever from you, Craig. And, yeah, it wouldn't really work, but they're going to have to. Here's the thing. Live Golf has to meet in the middle. They can't just be stubborn. Char can't just be stubborn because their players, it'll be doing them a disservice if they can't qualify for these majors. And the majors will be the best, you know, hope for, for sports and golf fans like you, Smithy, where all of the golfers finally, four times a year they get back, the best golfers get back onto one uh, event to take, take each other on. So they need those. So they're going to have to budge. Yeah, I think you're right. And they will come together. And isn't there an interesting irony, uh, too, in the, in the story from Pat Welsh uh, about Greg Norman and Tiger Woods going head-to-head? And haven't they been going head-to-head over this, this issue as well? Very publicly, along with Rory McIlroy, big, big guns, butting heads over live golf and traditional golf. Very, very interesting. It's uh, 11.23 here on SENZ. SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime, 0800 150 811. It's Kiwi for Sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. And over to Women's Refuge, who is our charity of choice. And uh, today, uh, in fact, it's tomorrow, it's Friday. Uh, we're looking at race four, number eight, that's what we do. And uh, our comments say, good draw of eight. Mm. Uh, last campaign <laughs> beat. Who, who wrote great. that? I was going to say, oh, so eight's not what you, mm, I don't know. Last campaign beat Congracia Love. And if anywhere near his best, he can at least place in this. Well, we need him to win, don't we? We want him to win. So come on, tell it, Louis. That's what we well, do. Chances. Look, the, the, the horse can win because it's got Zach Butcher on, and he, he's got a deadly strike rate when he tra- drives for John Dickey. And he, the, the horse is clearly talented, but it's won three of his eight, so that's a pretty good strike rate. The, the issue is he's going to need some luck from that marble. I want to know who's writing these comments. Is this another show? <laughs> have 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 is, has Staffy got you know hacked into the system and he's starting to you know run some sort of smear campaign? 
It might be. They had a win last week and Staffy wasn't even here. So, I mean, they're up to 375. Drive, uh, $1,413.50. Got to be careful because the new host of that later this afternoon might uh, get his hands on that, $1,413.50. Here we go. Uh, Here's an interesting thing too. Uh, Cheers, uh, Logan, uh, comes through and says, uh, Bella Button can't be beat tonight. There you go. Bella Button. And that's at Addington in uh, your little neck of the woods down there, Louis. Right, uh, let's head into um, a very interesting part of the day. I'm going to sit back in the chair for this one and see if I can get a bit of confidence back. It's time to stump Smithy. Uh, 0800 150811. 0800 150811. We had it up uh, to uh, 100, but it's back down to 50. Back down to 50 bucks. So 0800 150811. We'll take a short break uh, with the news from Aroha. Uh, and when we return... Brian will be waiting for your calls. Auckland weather, mostly cloudy with isolated showers, mainly north of the Harbour Bridge, nor'easterly winds. We've got a high of 24, dropping to a low of 18. Join us for Phoenix Nation from 3 this afternoon on SENZ or grab the SENZ app. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Oh, boy. Well, I thought I could have a streak that lasted as long as Pat Welsh's broadcasting career, but I was unravelled day two. Probably unsurprising uh, to those in my close circles like you, Rob, Barry, Smithy. But here we are. Smithy's (laughs) back in the hot seat, and he's ready to go. He's taken it personally. He needs to get some order back to the show. And we're going to start, Smithy, with Rob in gore of all places. Rob, how you doing, mate? Good boys, yourself? Yeah, it's marvellous. Smithy, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, com- I'm confident, Rob. Uh, what's the weather like in the deepest of dark souths today? A uh, bit foggy, mate, but um, she's going to be a nice day. We've had a good run down here. Have you? What about the oysters? What do you what do you pay for a dozen oysters down in Gore without any, hardly any freight? What do you pay down there? Still too much, Smithy. Oh, yeah. God. But but the yeah. good good news is for Rob is he's he's out there himself. So he's he's got you know he's a man of the land. Our Rob, he's a hunter, he's a gatherer, and he's a good he's a good quizzer from what they tell me. The mail is Rob is a good quizzer, and Rob, your three subjects to choose from to take Smithy on are and this is an absolute G up. It's a raw. Smithy's been in Brian's ear and he's given him the three topics that he knows best. He's given him cricket, golf, or baseball. So I'm on your side. I'm on your side here, Rob. What would you like? No NRL. <laughs> I know, I know, unbelievable. But what would you like? Cricket, golf, um, or baseball? I'll, I'll, I'll go cricket, please, Louis. Okay. Alrighty. Alrighty. <laughs> Let's see if we can beat him in his own game. What 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 kit did you have, Smithy? What gloves were you? What apparel brand were you sponsored by for your millions? Grey knuckles. Yeah, purest. Grey right. knuckles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Out of the current Greg, active... Me and Greg Chappell. Me and Greg Chappell. Me and Kane. Kane Williamson. Pick the <laughs> one out there. Oh, come on, Rob. Do it for the good guys. Out of the current <laughs> active Black Caps, <laughs> who has scored the highest total career runs in T20 matches against Pakistan? Oh, wow. What a question. I don't even know how you add this up. <laughs> It is a stitch-up. Um, far out. He's played international uh, cricket somewhere else. 
What, what was that? Sorry. <clears throat> He's played international cricket for someone else. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Jesus. I should have told Smithy to put his earmuffs on there. I just gave him a clue too, bugger. Um. Far out. I'm going to need oh, an answer. Glenn Phillips? Oh. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, that was the stab. I wouldn't, have had, I wouldn't have had any idea until you gave that clue and you've given me a notion. And I think this guy might have played for Hong Kong. I'm going to go Mark Chapman. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. Oh, he's good. Way it goes. He's good, Rob. He's good with those grey knuckles gloves on. He's, he's quick. <laughs> Oh, Lord, Good on you, boy. Help there. Cheers, Rob. <laughs> uh, have a terrific day. <laughs> I've had a brain we're explosion. Going to, we're, we're going to Baz. We're going to play Baz ball in Palmerston North by the look of it. Uh, Barry from Palmerston North. G'day, Barry. Hey, Smithy. How are you, mate? I'll just take my bucket, no. my green bucket off my head, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, just been cutting the eyes out. <laughs> Oh, you're a character, Barry. Okay, right, we're on cricket. Uh, what are we looking at, Louis? All right, Barry, we're seeing if we can pick the eyes out of this question. What Black Caps bowler has the best bowling figures in a T20 innings against Pakistan all time? Okay, here we go. Four overs. Yes, he bowled his maximum. One maiden, 18 runs, five for Auckland. 2010. Come on, Barry. You can get this one. 2010, you'd say. That's right. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, Salvi. Oh! I think that means what you got to know where it goes. <laughs> oh, God. You got it. Tim Salvi, Pfeiffer. Eden Park against Pakistan. Alrighty, question three. Hey, Let's hey, get into Griffey, it. Did, yes, did Barry. Did you know that? Did no. you know it? <laughs> no, Barry. Oh. I, I, I wasted. I wasted the right answer. Okay. <laughs> right, bring, bring right it on. on. Bring, bring it on. Come on, guys. Okay. All right, Barry. Keep keep that bucket on your head. It's your lucky charm. Gun. Yeah. yeah young gun. And 148 Test Cap New Zealand Cricket Veteran Ian Stockley Smith Represented us at the highest level from Shit, is that longer? 1980-1992 What year was Smithy part of a series win in Pakistan? Just, just, just repeat them years again, sorry don't worry about the years. Don't worry about the years. What year was Smithy part of a series win in Pakistan? And Brian's trying to... He's trying to pull one over us again, Barry. Don't worry about the years. No, no, but you... Just, when you gave me the question, you, you, you gave me his... Uh, you gave Smithy's... Like, 80 to 92. Career. 80 to 92. 80 to 92. Jeez, yeah, he seems to be around a lot longer than that, I think. But, uh, <laughs> nah. Um, uh, it was 84, mate. No. <laughs> One of the worst things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, Barry. Barry actually, Barry actually, no, it wasn't. Um, 1984, though we did tour Pakistan in 1984. You guessed right on that occasion, and 1990 during my span. Um, but unfortunately, as uh, we talked about a couple of days ago, uh, we never won. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. So, Barry, the answer was never. Yeah, well, that, that's a tricky question. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I agree, yeah. Barry. But we're going back I, to I agree. Bugger. Yeah. Go back Please. to the green. <laughs> the green bucket back on your head. Oh, God, it's, that is gold. I think, I, think he's, I think he's just puked into that bucket. I hope he hadn't cut the holes out yet. He's pretty tense with you, Brian. I can promise you that. Old Spewing. Baseball. Baseball out of Palmerston North didn't quite work today. It's 11.40. We'll be back shortly, and we'll be up for a handy tomorrow. Oh, brilliant. SCNZ, it's Kiwi for Sport. Keep up to date on Twitter and Instagram at SCNZ underscore radio. And the Japan tour last year after Liv's momentum began to gather pace, all of a sudden they made the lights with every tour in the world. And it's like if you play that tour, you're gone. Speaking about Liv, that never happened in 11 plus years. I was on the PGA tour, said Danny Lee. The sad truth is they never cared about the European tour or the Japan tour or the Korean tour. It's funny how they've changed in the last two years. It's like, okay, you guys are all my friends. Let's get along now. It's because Live Golf happened. There's Danny Lee, who's a very quietly spoken man, uh, just by the by. Uh, Louis Herman, what, uh, anything on the, the radar in terms of the sports desk? Well, yeah, that's uh, look. Danny Lee loves to fire. He's quietly spoken, but he loves to fire shots across the uh, social medias and into different uh, various corners of the internet. So it doesn't overly surprise me. And this is Smithy. This is why I have been saying let's not just let's not just hang live golf out and say that it is a disgrace and all of these heavy terminologies that Rory McIlroy and Co used because. It's going to enact change. This is a good thing. This is competitive. It's going to mean that ultimately the products are better overall in the long run. So, I mean, that was my take on it anyway. Um, on the sports desk, yeah, well, there are bits and bobs actually. How's this? The Breakers are going to go to America in the middle of the NBL season. So they're going to roll their dice, says Mark Hinton at Stuff. He has this scoop. And they're essentially going to head to the States to play a couple of unnamed NBA teams in the middle of their NBA season. So they're opening their home season against the Taipans on September 30. We'll play those NBA games in between round two and round four. So that's a bit of a... a well, a task, signed themselves up for a trip to America, but I guess the exposure outweighs the travel cost, they're thinking. Oh, the players will love that. Absolutely, and chance, uh, the chance to impress, um, even, you know, uh, just get a foot in the door. I mean, um, you know, the likes of a Will McDowell White or someone of that nature, maybe that was part of the deal that uh, 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 they were able to assure him that uh, he would have exposure on an American scene, uh, because that's a, a hell of a, an idea. And, and as I say, a really top opportunity uh, for our uh, our players because we know that um, through ESPN um, that uh, the NBA keeps a pretty close eye on the NBL these days. Uh, they're signing players out of it, um, recruiting players, putting players in the draft, etc. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think that's that's a really major step and a, a nice announcement that.
I think the NBL is essentially a feeder, feeder league to the NBA, in essence, and that's what it's become, and I think it should embrace that. And it's never going to compete. No one would ever expect it to, and it's not. this is not a Live Golf PGA Tour scenario at all. So I think playing Little Brother has its extreme benefit, so I totally agree, Smith. Speaking of that, a little bit earlier, you, you raised this with me. Emirates Team New Zealand, they're out testing at the moment, and apparently it's been hectic winds out there, um, some really nice easterlies in the harbour. So they've got this big new boat that they are going to be using for the next American cup out there and the large jib sail completely pinged off the, f- the off the bow of the boat so where it was connected it, essentially the winds were so hard it just broke it that's the level of um kind of technology that they're pushing and, and conditions they've been pushing so pete burling said that this week they've had out there in these conditions has been invaluable because i've learned pretty much how hard they can push this boat before it breaks no one was hurt so that's a great that's great news for them getting that time in the water before they send everything to barcelona for next year and staying international wow hong kong jamie richards he's a freak we talk about it so often on the good oil. He picked up a back-to-back race double last night at Happy Valley. He took two horses to the races, and he won with Zach Purden on the back of one, Vincent Ho on the other, and Smithy. With that, he has gone past, I'm not kidding, on the Hong Kong Trainers Premiership in his first season, he's gone past David Hayes. He's got 27 for the year, David Hayes with 26. He's... 11% win rate, which is the third best on the whole Premiership ladder in his first season. He's middle of the pack, 27 wins. No one could have ever expected this apart from him because he's one of the most driven people I've ever come across in my life. And this won't, this won't, um, set, you know, he's not going to settle for this. He will keep striving until he wins this Premiership. But I just think he is one of, right now, our international sporting stories we should be celebrating. Uh, interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. Uh, how he was going over there. Thanks for the update on that. Incidentally, uh, his partner in life, of course, is uh, Danielle, Danielle Johnson. Um, and uh, last we heard, Jed, of course, was injured. Um, last uh, thing I saw, I think she was in a moon boot, to be perfectly honest. Um, right again, Danielle, or done? Um, gee... I mean, it's pure speculation, but I say she's probably done. She's never going to ride. She won't be riding in Hong Kong. So unless, and I can't imagine that they would move back here in the next decade, and then she'll be 40-something, and probably, you'd hope, you know, touch wood, everything goes well, a kid or two. So um, mm-hmm. you'd assume not, I guess, but that's what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. Good answer. Uh, cheers. Uh, Maggie, look, hey, hi, Maggie. Uh, I, I don't know for sure who has the New Zealand TV broadcast rights to the Ashes. I'm assuming it's still going to be on Spark. Now, Spark own the rights to all cricket coming out of England except for world uh, for ICC events like the World Test Championship, right? Okay, so that, they, they own that. All that. They own the Ashes in terms of bringing it back to New Zealand. Uh, but, uh, of course, Spark are, are winding up. There's no doubt about that. But they're not winding up until uh, 31st of July, my understanding is, and that would mean they could cover the full Ashes uh, because the last test is scheduled to finish on the 31st of July. So there's a chance uh, that it will be on uh, Spark again. Uh, Maggie, that's, I haven't heard any different to that. I'm assuming that's uh, probably one of the reasons they made sure that the contract didn't end till then because they could bring you the Ashes. So that's where it probably sits, Maggie. It's probably where it sits, to be fair. It is uh, 11.52 here on SENZ. Uh, Let's catch up with uh, Sam Hewitt before he takes over very shortly.